Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Yes, we love you, Jesus. You alone are worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory, all power, all dominion belongs to you. To the one who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb be glory and honor and blessing and power forever. We honor you this morning, God. We honor you this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. On that note and in the presence of God this morning, let's have a seat. I just want to move right into what the Holy Spirit's laid on, our, on my heart for our church in this season. And I have to tell you, I feel like we're in a real season of clarity. And I, I love the irony of that. When the world goes upside down, the Holy Spirit begins to bring clarity to the church. And it's an amazing and wonderful thing. Um, I, uh, I have to just comment on a couple of things that have happened to me that were less spiritual, but maybe still spiritually significant. Uh, first of all, I turned 42 this month, and that was, uh, that was fun. Or 43. I turned 43. Uh, I, and immediately I noticed my mind has changed. I start forgetting things. And for whatever reason, um, the title of this morning's message, by the way, is Roots uh, Authority. And I, I did not delegate myself to have authority in this church. Uh, God actually did that. And that's the way authority works. Authority is delegated, but as a symbol of that delegation, the elders in our church got together and got me this lovely walking stick, which I thought was offensive at first, until I realized it had this button, and it does this. And then I realized what the elders wanted me to do was to be more authoritative in the church. So they gave, I, that has to be the reason why. I'm amazed the battery's still working this thing because we have, we have played some games, let me tell you. Uh, I still think at the next Manference we should do cattle prod or stun stick jousting. I think that would be fun. Riding tricycles towards each other. He who stays on wins. Uh, but then the gift got better and I realized that this gift came more into context because Gil gave me this shirt. I don't know if you can zoom in on it a little bit. It kept my amazing abs as well. Uh, that's sarcastic for sure. Uh, but it says, come and take it. And it is a Bible on a pulpit. And I, I think it's awesome. I think it's hilarious. I want you to know, though, is that I love the shirt because they can't take it. They can't take what's hidden in my heart. They can't take what we as the church live and breathe and what we put into ourselves every single day. You see, you can burn copies of the Bible, but you cannot burn the Word of God. And so no matter what happens, I need the church to know, to be reassured, to have the understanding of the ages that whenever persecution has come to the church in the history of God's people, it has always produced growth and excitement and revival and something amazing. So who or what should we fear? Come on. Some of you need to get more excited about that truth. Some of you need to get your eyes back up on Jesus because he's perfecting your faith through this time of what is going on. It's okay. It doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be just. It doesn't have to be all those things. Because as long as the gospel is being seeded, is being sown, is being grown up and being, uh, being fruitful, what else matters? Come on. What matters? Just me and Ed think that does Okay, we're good. So I guess on that note, you really need this message this morning. Um, I will, I've said this to people already. Uh, these, these series are planned a long time in advance. So let me just say it to you nicely. 
If you feel convicted, I want you to know that's conviction, not picked on. Okay? Uh, be, because I don't think about you, like I don't think about a person in our church when I'm writing the message. I go, oh, that Ed, he's been misbehaving. I'm going to slide this in there for him. I don't, we don't do that at this church. And I'm sure there are churches who, who may, uh, but not us. We don't do it that way. What we want to preach, what we want to speak is what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And so as you hear this this morning, if you encounter a moment of ouch, I encourage you to embrace the moment of ouch as if it's coming from the Lord, not because you think uh, so vainly of yourself that the pastor thinks about you all the time. I honestly, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell some of you I don't think about you every day. I'm sorry. I know, I know that ruins some of your, some of you ruins everything. But I, I, I can't. I got to think about my hot wife all the time, you know. That's, that's what I spend my time thinking about. Anyways, uh, so, last, so last Sunday we talked about vision and the vision of Jesus. So just to recap this for you, the vision of Jesus is the body, the bride, the church. It's the vision of Jesus is to build the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? That's the vision of Jesus. And this morning we're talking about authority and I want to bring authority into an appropriate context for you this morning and an understanding. Not how it always works, but how it is established. And I want to show you this in three different ways because authority is delivered in and through Christ who is the head of the church, he is the groom of the bride, and he is the cornerstone of his temple. Let me say that again for you, and I love that it's, there's a Trinitarian reality in this. Isn't that fun? That the authority is delivered in and through Christ because he is the head of the body, he is the groom of the bride, and he is the cornerstone of his temple. And so let's just jump right in because I want to let you out of here about 20 minutes from now. Alignment to the mind of Christ brings order throughout the body. And we see that in the Old Testament where God uh, by his spirit led the assembly of the Israelites through the wilderness and his spirit went ahead of them as a pillar of cloud in the daytime and as a pillar of fire at night. Now Moses was a part of that structure. Moses was a part of the delegated authority that led the people but understand that God is the one who was in authority, that God is the one who was leading, God is the one who was moving. The bride is submitted to the groom who provides covering and protection. We're going to talk about how Boaz covered Ruth as a kinsman redeemer. And that the church finally are living stones being built into a spiritual house that is built upon the cornerstone that the builders rejected, who is Jesus Christ. Now these are biblical principles, biblical truths that, sorry, that help us form principles for how leadership and structure need to work in the body of Christ. That's why it fits into the series Roots, because our roots as Generations Church are deeply grown into, deeply embedded in the principles of God's Word. So Jesus is authority over the body to lead the body as the head. Now this is foreshadowed again in the Old Testament when Israel left Egypt. The assembly of people followed the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Moses was the leader. But God was the one in authority. He commanded Moses to use the staff. God commanded Moses to use the staff. God spoke to Moses how to build the tabernacle, how to build the articles of worship. Uh, God, God spoke to Moses to build the snakes on a pole when the plague of snakes had come through Israel in the wilderness. And you might think that, well, that means Moses had authority, and you would actually be right to a point. But you see, Moses had what we realize in all of nature, what it really comes down to is Moses has delegated authority. In that God delegated authority to Moses to lead. 
And God, for the record, has delegated authority today in his church to leaders, pastors, elders, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and apostles so that they can lead the body of Christ, not as the head of the body, but as a part of the body. Now, this is the, this is the established authority of God's word. And we're going to touch on that, that even Jesus, the earthly Jesus, God incarnate, he, even Jesus the man, Needed authority delegated to him. We're going to get to that before the end. So, real authority, if I can just say it this way, is nothing but evident. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, sometimes people go around saying, look, I'm the one in authority here. But if you truly are in authority, you really don't need to say that. I don't know if, if you've ever met some people. I've met some guys and found out afterwards that they were like RCMP members. And what's interesting about a person who really understands authority is that RCMP member, he didn't need a uniform to walk into the room and be like the guy who probably is in authority. I don't have to run around in our church or in our community reminding everyone that I'm the pastor of Generations Church to have authority because authority is delegated according to the will and the plans of God. And by the way, anytime someone gets kind of unruly and tries to take authority for themselves, they are, they are trying to grasp or grab authority. It doesn't line up with how God does it. It would be what we call self-promotion, perhaps, some of the times. Sometimes it's just plain old disobedience. But God is establishing authority. God established authority in the life of Moses and Aaron so they could lead. And eventually God established authority in the life of Joshua so that Joshua could lead where Moses could no longer lead. That's the Old Testament foreshadow. That pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire at the head of the assembly as Jesus is the head of his body. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says, He is the image, this is speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things, someone say all things. all things. By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Even our provincial government, even our federal government, has been created by him. And don't ever forget this, church. It is actually created for him. Never doubt that God has a purpose, even when you see a government that goes directly against what God says. It's there to serve him. And I know that we like to think that it's there to serve our freedom, our liberty, our rights, our privilege, and it should be in a just world, but this world is far from just. So never lose sight of this truth that all things, all dominion, all rulers, all authorities, all things are created by Jesus, and they are created for Jesus. Someone should say amen to that. doesn't matter what comes. It's by him and for him. And those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. Come on. Let's read on. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So Jesus is the head of the body, his body. It's his body. The church is his body. It's not a political organization. It's not a social establishment. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. And anything other than that is not coming from a biblical worldview. 
It's important that we remember that we are established not on a social worldview, not on a modern worldview, but we are established as the people of God on a biblical worldview. We have to remember that because in the biblical worldview, you will find an, an identity established by God for who you are to be. Outside of that, there is no establishment. There is just wandering back and forth through the, the complex piles of social issues. Jesus has his body, and I'd like you to think, not that this is a perfect analogy, but think of the leaders, the pastors, the teachers, elders, prophets, evangelists, those who serve, those who serve you, who, who lead, that they are maybe like the nervous system. And their role is simply to take what the head says and make sure that message gets out to the fingers. And it's not a perfect analogy because I don't want us to get lost in thinking that somehow as a fingertip in the body of Christ that you somehow need to talk to the head through me. You're allowed to have your own relationship with God. That's, that's the whole plan. Understand that metaphors are not supposed to be so solid. They are representative and they are therefore loose and mobile. Not stuck in one spot. Please understand. You see, if you remove leaders, then you have to replace them or become them yourself to communicate the will of the head to whoever is following you. It doesn't work very well to have a severed head. It doesn't work very well to have a headless body. That's not how God designed his church to work. God designed his church from the top to the bottom with Christ at the forefront of it and you and I making up the components that do his work in this world. From time to time, people do become unruly, and they may complain about pastors or elders or different leaders in different places in the church, outside of the church, and what they're doing is not accepting the delegated authority that is in the church. Now, that might be deserved from time to time. There are leaders who go rogue. There are pastors who misbehave, and, and I want you to understand this. They will encounter discipline for their misbehavior. If I step out of line, the Holy Spirit is after me. I just want you to know that. I don't get to leave church the way you do on Sunday morning. That's real. If I misstep, if I say something, the Holy Spirit is on me like a monkey on a pile of bananas. <laughs> and if you want to understand what it's like, just up your level of leadership in our church. You too can experience the wonderful loving discipline of our Lord in a new way. That's the reality. God has established an authority that needs to exist, that needs to be there so that the mind of Christ can be known in the body of Christ. Now what I find interesting is that when one person or a group of people rebel and they don't accept delegated authority any longer in the church, um, they are pointless struggles. And they damage things. They damage relationship and people around them because really they are nothing other than someone moving against the leader in claiming authority for themselves. Well, I don't like what Pastor Trav does. So I'm going to do it this way. But, but see, now you're claiming authority and doing what you want to do. So if your accusation is that I'm moving in claimed authority rather than delegating authority, then you begin to move in claimed authority. You see how your argument becomes moot? Guys, that's not how it's supposed to work. And 99.9% .9 of the time, just so you know, in the body of Christ, it doesn't need to work that way. It doesn't need to come to that. If people are willing to lean in and have authentic, honest, open, real conversations. 
if you're willing to lay down your pride and prefer your brother or sister in Christ, these conversations begin to evaporate. Here's a way to understand how you can carry authority in this world as a, as a member of Christ's body. That because he is the authority, because God is the authority, you notice throughout this message, Jesus, I'm saying he is authority to the church. He is. It's not he is in authority. You know, he is authority, period. It is a virtue of who he is, is to be authority. But listen, because he is the authority, God will always do the heavy lifting. And because God always does the heavy lifting, authority in you and I can become self-evident. Why? Because it's a reflection of who God is and what he's doing. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. Now, Jesus was given all authority in his incarnation. He had authority in heaven to create and speak before he became God incarnate. There's no doubt about that. He was the word. We sang the song. He was the word in the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Bible talks about how Jesus was at the head, at the front of all creation, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing that has come into being came into being. See, before Jesus became God incarnate, he is authority. And you can't even say he was authority because he is. You, you can't say he will be because he is. And that makes it true that he will be and that he was. Do you understand? God is not limited by our scope of time and space. He's just not. He just is who he is. When Jesus said, I am that I am, that's what he's referring to. Aside from time and space and whatever continuum of those things that we are in, he is. I think it's interesting that when Jesus became God incarnate, though, when he became flesh and blood, it was necessary that authority be delegated to him. And if for no other reason, it was so that you and I could understand how that's supposed to work. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but in this case, the Son of Man, needed God to delegate, somebody listen to this, God to delegate authority to him, how much more do you and I need God to delegate authority to us? If Jesus required it, uh, I, I, I want to, oh, well, here it is right here. So that's Matthew 28, 18. This is what it says. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Somebody say given. 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 What does that mean? It's delegated. All authority in heaven and earth was delegated to Jesus the man. Matthew 7, 29 says, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Guys, authority, if it's from God, when it's from God, should become self-evident that it's his authority. And it's not about signs and wonders. And it's not about the composure of the leader. Can you imagine if God's authority was dependent on your composure in life? <laughs> That's why our kids misbehave. Our composure is not entirely intact all the time, is it? See, that's a problem for us. If we think that a leader's composure is the reason they're in authority, we've got it all wrong. Come on. Do you think that Jason Kenny is an authority because of his composure? No. He's actually an authority because God permitted that. 
And I'm not saying you can't vote him out. That would be the appropriate response in many cases. But please understand, authority, the misuse of authority, the misunderstandings of authority are not about what's wrong with God. It's about what's wrong with people who are separated from God. Come on. All right. He is the authority to lead his body. He is authority to redeem and reconcile the bride. That's us. The church. The bride. The body. This truth about Jesus is foreshadowed in the Old Testament by Boaz, who covered the widow Ruth as her kinsman redeemer. And by this act, he gave her, this is amazing to me, by this act, he gave her a place, a people, a purpose, and provision that she could not have as a widowed woman in her day. I, I actually was, when I was studying this out, I came across, I, I, read about it for yourself in the book of Ruth. Read the whole book. It's four chapters. You can do it. But I love this. There was actually another in front of Boaz, more closely related, that was supposed to be her kinsman redeemer. But I love this. Just camp on this for one minute with me today. But he said to Boaz, he said, I cannot redeem her because I would risk losing everything that I have. In other words, the person who by moral conscience should have redeemed Ruth could not afford to do it. So Boaz, who is actually a type, a type of Christ, a Christophany in a way, he, this, this is a typology of what Jesus was about to do, a foreshadowing of what was to come. Boaz, even though the person who maybe should have made it right couldn't, Boaz stepped in like Jesus steps in for us and made it right for Ruth. Parents, you should take note of this. I want to tell you, you are that redeemer that could not do it for your children. So you need Jesus to come in and redeem your family. Because you don't have the resources. You would bankrupt your own soul to do it, and even that wouldn't be enough. But we have a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, foreshadowed in Boaz and Ruth, whose name is Jesus, and he comes to redeem his bride, to reconcile his bride to himself. Now, there is another part of the Bible called the book of Hosea that deals far more graphically with this kind of relationship. It's so graphic, though, that some of you would be unhappy with me if I read what the Bible has to say in the book of Hosea. Because your kids are too little for you to be faced with the questions you would be faced with. Hosea is a book of adultery, plain and simple. But it's a picture of Jesus and his unfailing love for the church. Because it's his bride. And even though she, she plays the adulteress, which is saying it very nicely compared to how it's written, he again and again redeems and reconciles and redeems and reconciles. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Revelation 19, 7 through 8 says, Let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. Someone say prepared herself. Now listen, uh, well let me read the rest and then listen to me some more. <laughs> it was given her, to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. Prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself. Clothe herself in fine and bright, clean linen. For that linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The groom, the lamb of God, 
The lamb who was slain. Obviously, in the book of Revelation, you don't have to be an intensely crazy Bible scholar to understand. This is Jesus. Gives the bride clothing of righteousness. And I want you to know that the bride, you and I, cannot supply these for ourselves. You cannot supply your own life with good deeds that meet the standard God has set. Even though you're a moral person, even though you're a kind person who does a lot of right things, listen to me so carefully, you need to understand that there is something greater that God has prepared to you, for you that you could never accomplish yourself in your own strength. You cannot do it. And even though you might do good things, I'm telling you, there are greater things for you to do when you give your life to Jesus. There are better things, there are more important things for you to do when you give your life to Jesus because God has prepared you to do those good works long ago so that you would walk in them. Ephesians 2.10, let me read it to you real quick. For you is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we should walk in them. And I want you to know this morning, this biblical view of marriage that we have in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is so valuable to us. It's so full of great promises for us. And I wish we had time to camp on all of them. But those of us who know what marriage is, the greatness, and I mean, I know we all know the difficulty of marriage if we're married. But what about the greatness of marriage? What about all of the things that make it so much fun, that make it so worth it? Those are the things that God symbolizes for us. The picture of what he wants for us. That biblical view of marriage is chock full of promises. But brides and grooms are easy to please each other. They're eager, sorry, to please each other. It's not easy to please, but eager to please. They're eager to please one another, especially when we're newlyweds. Now, a month or two in, the guy starts leaving his socks all over the place, and she doesn't brush her teeth every morning like you thought she'd. I mean, all those kinds of things can happen. But listen, there's a great picture here for us. And that's how it's supposed to be with Jesus. That eagerness that we experience in those first days, months, years of marriage, or once you get over the hump, when you get later and you get into your 20th year of marriage and you start going from there, let me tell you, it's just joyful. It's good. It's wonderful. You've got things figured out a little bit better. And it's easier in a way. But it's more fulfilling. Listen, God, the, the reason why God created marriage, why marriage is a sacrament to the body of Christ, is because God intends it to be an image of the relationship he wants to have with you and I. He wants it. He wants that. He wants that joyful union to be the symbol, the metaphor for his relationship with you and I. I don't like how the world tries to make marriage look these days. See, the world tries to make marriage look temporary, convenient, redefinable, interchangeable. All these things ultimately are logically, are, all these things ultimately and then logically are just simply self-serving. It's just a new kind of selfishness packaged in something else. Marriage is sacramental because it is the holy image of God and his people. And any other marriage, image of marriage, by the way, is a false image. It's an idol. The image of marriage that society presents today, that it can exist in any way you want it to, that's a lie. Marriage exists according to the will of God to please God and to show us the relationship he wants to have with us. And when I say anything other than that is an idol, this is why I say it. I came across 
this interesting quote that, that made me stop everything I was doing. He says, if we want to understand the uniqueness of the bridegroom portrait, we must recognize that God sees our idolatry as adultery. If you want to understand the relationship between the groom, who is Jesus, and the bride, who is the church, please understand that the things that you say, ah, maybe it's an idol, but it's no big deal. To his heart, it's adultery. And I think maybe our unwillingness to lay down idols is a part of the contempt that lives in us toward our Creator. I got good news, though. We can solve that problem by repenting, by turning from idolatry, by turning from adultery towards the Lord and realigning ourselves with Him again. Finally, He is authority in the building of His church. He is authority in building His church. And the church, of course, is foreshadowed in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and in the temple. A physical but holy dwelling place for the presence of God. The articles of worship were set apart as holy. The dressings of the priest, all those garments were set apart as holy. The anointing oil, the water, the lavers, all of the instruments of worship, all of them set apart as holy. And, and, and all of these working together from, from the walls of the temple and from the gates around the tabernacle right to the holy of holies, the most holy place, are all symbolic and foreshadowing of the work that Jesus would come to do to make us right with him and be once again in the presence of God. All of these things work together in that one effort to reconcile us to our creator. See, in the Old Testament, all of those things lead us to this place in the New Testament church where we encounter the King of Kings who is both the lion and the Lamb, the builder of everything, Hebrews 3 says, worthy of more honor than his house because he is the one who builds the house. And I camped on that verse, Hebrews chapter 3, for a little while. But then the Holy Spirit led me very plainly to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Because it's not enough that we understand that he is the head of the assembly, that he is the groom, and that he is the one who is building the church, that he is the cornerstone of this thing called church. What we need to understand is our place, and we are to come to him as living stones. Ephesians, or sorry, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. This precious value then is for you who believe, but... But for unbelievers, a stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this way and to this they were also appointed. 
But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God and have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The authority of Jesus in his church is for our salvation. It is. That basic and most ancillary work to what the gospel does. It's for salvation. But as I've said to you so many times before, salvation is just the beginning. Salvation is just the very beginning of God's journey with you in your life. See, God wants to take you from salvation to a place of appointment as his people, his priests, his nation, his possession. So don't be one who stumbles over his authority and presence. Because when you do, you're stumbling over the cornerstone who is Jesus. You might think you're stumbling over your pastor, but I want to tell you, you're not. You're not stumbling over me, you're stumbling over Jesus. And we all must stumble over Jesus. Every one of us. We have to trip over this rock. I love the imagery of tripping over the cornerstone because it puts me on the ground in front of it. Prostrated. Laid out. Bowed down. Made low. Before this cornerstone. In the imagery of this passage is so beautiful because God wants to pick me up. God wants to pick you up. And he wants to shape you and make you and shave you and fix you so that you fit perfectly into the spot in his church that he is building. He wants to fit you seamlessly into the place of his choosing so that he can build his church on top of you. That part we don't always like. We need to let him shape us and fit us into his house because he knows the right place. He is the builder, not you. I'm not the builder. He is. He's not only the builder, but he's also the foundation. And if he's the builder and he's the foundation, then you and I are the rocks in the wall. And we may rise in height. We may rise in stature. As stone upon stone, Jesus builds your life into something better than you could have ever imagined. But I want you to know this will always be true. The wall never becomes of greater stature than its creator. Never. Because the one who builds the house has more honor than the house. When the Bible spoke of Moses, Moses had honor for leading the people of Israel, but he had less honor than Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was the author and the finisher. Jesus is the one who is doing the building. It's his house. It's his house. Why? Because he has authority. Here's the bottom line. Every part in a church, in a body, and in a bride has its place. Where God places you, he places you. 
Now, please understand, that doesn't mean stuck. I think we think of living stones and spiritual houses, and we picture rock and stone structures that are, that are gothic, that are solemn, that never, ever move. And you need to understand that God is building a church of living stones, but it's built more like fabric and flesh than it's built like rock and stone. And even though he uses the imagery of stone, which we perceive to sit in one place and to be on a foundation, listen, spiritually you are stones being set in place on a firm foundation that cannot be moved. But in the reality of this world, that spiritual house moves all over the place. That spiritual house drives into people's families and workplaces and lives to change them for the better. That spiritual house is not stuck down to anything. That spiritual house grows and enlarges. It encompasses communities. It encompasses problems. It encompasses demonic possession and broken people. And it makes it whole because that's how Jesus uses his church. I understand that I am a living stone built on a firm foundation, but that I am also fluid because God can move me anywhere he wants. Don't get stuck on the metaphor. Here's where I want you to be stuck. Get stuck on the identity. Don't be stuck on the metaphor. Don't be stuck on your identity. Be stuck on the identity that God bestows on you. God establishes these images of structure throughout Scripture so that we can understand how his authority works, how it's delegated, how it's rolled out, how it's presented, how it's given, how it can be taken back from time to time. But never lose sight of the truth that we are to respond rightly to God's authority above all. There is no authority higher than his because he is authority. And you and I need to remember that when we encounter authority in this world. That ultimately, Jesus is the one who is in authority. You know, as I was thinking about this this morning and taking some extra time from our media team, I didn't give them notes early. So I wanted to wrap this up well. And I feel like these messages sometimes go in a few directions, but I trust that by the Spirit of God this morning, you're going to hear the thing that you need to hear whether you're sitting in this room or whether you're sitting watching at home. Listen, the body should be quick to do what the head wants. That's how authority needs to work, right? Because anything less than that is not a good situation. He, he wants his muscles and nerves trained with quick reflexes because those are signs of a healthy body. Have you ever had your leg fall asleep? Isn't that the most wonderfully awkward thing in the world that happens when you get up, your legs asleep, you, got, you don't even have the pins and needles yet, and you go to put your weight down, you can't even feel your foot there. Guys, that's what the body of Christ is like when we're, when we're not walking with and aligned with the authority that he has placed. It's like all of a sudden this leg goes to sleep. And you can't jump up and run. You can't get up and go and help. You can't run to the need that God calls you to because you're lethargic, you're lazy, you're weak, you're atrophied, you're paralyzed. And often and sadly, it's because you have constricted the supply of life that you needed flowing to you as the limb. In a healthy body, reflexes are quick. 
reflexes are quick. The neural pathways and the synapses fire and something happens immediately. That's a healthy body. We must never lose sight of that. God wants us to be trained, to be ready to run, jump, swim, march, fight, to do good. At the moment, the head says go. By the way, when Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, what's the next thing he said? Anybody want to guess? All authority has been given to me. The next part is go, therefore, into all the world. Huh. Isn't that interesting? So convenient for me trying to make a point. Or is it just what the Word of God says? Well, it's just what the Word of God says. I love that I don't have to orchestrate God's Word. It'll slap me upside the head, downside the head. It's better than a stun cane. The body's got to be quick to do what the head wants. The bride should be excited to hear from the groom. I don't want to go to church. Well, something's wrong with you. You're not a good bride then. Come on, husbands. You come home, you've worked hard. Hey, baby, let's go on a date just because the kids are here. You know what you know. I know that you know. And if you don't know, book an appointment with Carlisle and Jana. They will tell you how to have a better life, maritally speaking. Because they pray together like crazy people. Listen, the bride should be excited to hear from the groom. If you're not excited to hear from the groom, i got to tell you, something's wrong. Don't feel picked on. Just feel convicted. When the groom says, my love, wait here for me, the bride who knows her groom says, okay, I'm going to wait right here because I know he's going to bring me presents. There's going to be diamonds and gold. That's what Amy knows. I'm like, baby, you just, you just wait right here. And I come back with diamond earrings. And, well, that's happened a couple times. Slurpees, once upon a time. I, let me admit to you, I'm a, I'm a hor- I was a horrible boyfriend. I am a terribly unromantic husband at times. Um, I'm, just, I'm just practical. And, uh, and one day, I'm sure Jesus is going to take some jewels from my crown because I didn't do a good enough job. But... It's important that we understand this picture of the bride and the groom. The bride waits for the groom. She listens to the groom. Why? Because she knows the groom has good things for her. And there's something wrong with you and I if we're not excited to do what the groom says. Biblical authority, by the way, is the answer for women and men in this world. And people try hard to make things equal. They try to make things fair. By the way, which isn't going well. It's just making more division everywhere we look. But both of these things are very subjective goals, equal and fair. I want it to be, I want it to be equal. I want it to be, that's very subjective. What does that even mean? Equal in what way? Can it be? Fair. Since when is fair the standard for human behavior? It's not. Period. It's not. And it can't be because it can never be in balance because human beings are sinful, fallen creatures. But here's the thing. In the biblical establishment of authority... There is nothing more right than how God made male and female in his image. He created the male and female both in his image. Men, you have a lot to learn from your wife about being a bride. Come on, guys. We do. We have a lot to learn about being a bride the bride from our wives. And I know that some of you feel uncomfortable with that, 
But just consider this. Consider that she might have some inkling of how it works and that you don't have an inkling. Stop being offended by gender application in Scripture. Ladies, once again, you are the sons of God. Men, you are the bride of Christ. Get over yourselves. We're made in his image. We are his bride. The church exists to be filled with his presence. The church exists to be filled with the presence of God. And what, is, what else is the church for if not to be the dwelling place of God? It's not the buildings of steel, concrete, and wood, but the living stone, the house of living stones. Housing the very presence of God is what this world needs more desperately than it ever has before. And it is the structure of the church that God wants to use so that the world has a way to approach Him. Not because Jesus has failed to be the answer, but because the body of Christ is the body of Jesus. We are his hands and his feet, his workers in this world. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I want to pray. I wrote a prayer out for us this morning. Yeah, that's how serious I was about this. No freelancing a prayer this morning. This prayer is going to stick. So if you're willing, why don't you stand? Because I think we're at a time and a place as a church where it's perfectly acceptable, normal, which it should be normal to us to reconfirm if we've got it all right. But I think more likely we actually need to realign some things this morning. So I'm going to put this prayer up on the screen. And I'm going to read through it, and you can read through it. But most importantly, I want you to pause in it, and I want you to read it a couple of times to yourself, and I want you to make it your prayer. Because the key to becoming aligned with God rightly again, the key to coming under His authority, the key to understanding His delegated authority in the church and in the world around us is to come back to the place of submitting ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because the promise is, when we submit ourselves to God that way, he'll lift us up in due time. Submit ourselves to God, then we resist the devil and he flees. Would you read this with me? Lord, I am sorry that I have become a lethargic, weak, lazy, or paralyzed member of your body. Jesus, please restore me today to a place of obedience, strength, and responsiveness to your will. Jesus, please forgive me as a part of your bride for my impatience and idolatry, which really is adultery to you. I'm asking for your grace and mercy and forgiveness so that I may be restored joyfully to my place at your side. Finally, Lord, forgive me for moving from the places you have placed me for thinking that I could possibly know where to place myself in what you are building. Lord, forgive me. Jesus, I commit myself to your authority, your plan, and your will once again. Come and live in every part of me so that I can live in you. Amen. I just want to leave that up there for a minute. And we still need to do the important things at church this morning. We're going to play one last song. We're going to worship God one last time together.
And maybe you need to start something with God today because you don't have a relationship with him. That last part of the prayer can be for you. Because really what it means to become a follower of Jesus is to tell him these words. Jesus, I submit myself to your authority, your plan, and your will. Come and live in every part of me so that I can live in you. You ask Jesus to forgive your sins. The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you of every sin and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. It's an amazing thing. But I want you to ask the, the Holy Spirit this morning this important question we ask every week. And that is, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What are you saying to me today? So, Lord, in this moment, this holy moment this morning, we just ask, what do you want us to take away? Would you search us this morning, Lord? Try us, test us, see, test our affections. Jesus, help us be aligned to you. Help us to be aligned to you. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.